Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. People will come to me and say, Preacher, do you believe that once saved, always saved? Do you believe a person can lose their salvation? They may have come from a Methodist background, and John Wesley taught that you could lose your salvation. Uh, Or maybe they have known of some people who were active in church for a period of time and then have fallen away and never returned. Or we all know of children that grew up in the church and continued in the church through their high school years only to go off to college and seem to abandon the faith totally and just get in all kinds of wicked, evil lifestyle. And so these people have made a profession of faith. They've been baptized. So what's going on, preacher? Can a person lose their salvation? Maybe you have at times wondered if you've lost your salvation. It's really not totally uncommon for Christians to think, man, have I lost my salvation? Can I lose my salvation? So today we're going to look at one of God's promises as we have been looking at His promises in our series, Standing on the Promises of God. And today we're going to see God's promise to keep us saved and blameless through eternity. To keep us saved and blameless through eternity. And here's the main truth. God has promised to keep us, that is Christians, truly born again people, saved and blameless for eternity, and that is throughout eternity. Look over in the small book of Jude. Jude is the book just before Revelation, the last book in the New Testament. This book is so short, it's only one chapter. And in this chapter, or in this book, Jude is writing to Christians who are facing many false teachers and false doctrines. And he's talking to them about the danger of these false teachers, and he's talking to them about how to recognize these false teachers and how to stand against these false teachers and not be drawn into their false teachings, their cults, and their heresies. And in this letter, he concludes by giving God's promise to Christians who are surrounded by false teaching and false prophets and cults, how God will keep them faithful, He will keep them saved, and present them in the presence of His glory without blame. Now you and I live in a society that is surrounded by false teaching. Probably more of the people you hear on the radio and on the television are involved in false teaching than are involved in true teaching of God's Word. And so we must be cautious. There are cults galore from Scientology all the way to Jehovah Witnesses to Mormons. You go on and on. There are many false teachers around us. And so I believe that we need this promise of God. We need to stand on it. We need to live it and be assured in God's truth. So over in Jude, 
verses 24 and 25. Stand in respect for God's Word. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. Now, this is a twofold promise. The first aspect of the promise is God's promise to keep us saved throughout eternity. Now, to answer the question, do you believe once saved, always saved? I believe once a person is truly saved, they will always be saved. But the problem is we have people who think they're saved or claim to be saved because they've said a prayer, because they have been baptized, because their names have been on a church roll, but they are not truly saved. You say, well, how do you tell the difference? Well, you tell the difference because those who are truly saved continue to walk faithfully with God until death. If you fall away and stay away, then that's an indication you never have been truly saved. You say, well, how do we know that those who are truly saved will continue to walk with God and persevere until death? Because God promises that He will not let His children stumble and fall away from the faith. We have God's promise here. As we see, God's keeping promise. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling, tripping up so as to fall away from the faith. Now let's look at this word keep to start off with. This word keep means to watch in case of attack. It means to guard, to preserve. It stresses the idea of custody while encountering dangers. It's to keep someone protected and safe though they are being attacked though the enemy is assaulting them. This word is used over in 2 Peter chapter 2 to speak of what God did for Noah in his evil day. And did not spare the ancient world, but preserved, kept, protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And so God is promising to protect us when we are being assailed by the attacks of the enemy. When we are encountering spiritual attack, God is able to keep us safe and secure. And make no mistake about it, Satan wants to destroy your faith. He wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to work you over. And he, if he could, he would take you out of the fold of God. But he cannot. Because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And this verse carries the truth that when we are being attacked, God is able. Our God who is all-powerful is able to keep us safe 
and secure. He is able to keep us from stumbling. We are eternally secure in Jesus Christ. Now God has given us several pictures in Scripture, several metaphors to help us understand our eternal security. And He uses things that we are familiar with in this life. As you've heard me say before, I believe God takes the physical world and He designed the physical world to help us understand spiritual realities and spiritual truth. And we're going to see some of those today. First, let's look at our eternal security from the shepherd perspective. Now we are over in John chapter 10. Take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 10, where Jesus is talking, and He's talking about His sheep. He's talking about Christians. And He tells us some exciting truth about our eternal security in Him. How He will keep His sheep safe. John 10, 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. Now this verse tells me that Jesus has a relationship with His sheep. A Christian is one who has a love relationship with Jesus Christ. Not just knowing about Him, but has a love relationship, an intimate love relationship with Christ. They hear His voice. They follow Him. Jesus secondly says, And I give eternal life to them. Now that's the first assurance we have that we will not lose our salvation is because we didn't do anything to earn it. Now, if you earned it, you might could lose it. But it was given to you by Jesus Christ. And He will not take back what He has given. He would never give you salvation and then say, Well, I've changed my mind. I'm going to take it back. So our first assurance is that it is a gift that Jesus gives and He will never take it back. Next, He says, And they will... Never perish. Now you remember we have seen before that when the Hebrews wanted to stress something, they would repeat it. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, He means, I want you really to listen here. Here we have another double negative. Literally in the Greek, it is, they will never, never perish. Jesus said, I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I give eternal life to my sheep and they will never, never perish. And then he goes on with the next assurance, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now here we have the picture of a shepherd holding a lamb in his arms. And Jesus says, I have my sheep in my arms and no one can snatch them out of my arms. Even that little lamb can wiggle and squirm all it wants. It cannot get loose from that shepherd. And Jesus says, I have got you in my arms. I have a hold of you, and no one is powerful enough to be able to snatch you out of my hands. Not you, not the devil, not anyone can be powerful enough 
to take you out of my loving arms. Now what kind of assurance is that? Our God who is greater than all. And then he goes on to speak of the Father. And he says, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. If it wasn't enough that Jesus had us in His hand, and no one could snatch us out of His hand, He goes on to say, And the Father who is greater than all, who is the ultimate authority in the universe, has you in His hands, and no one can snatch you out of His hands. Now here we have a quad assurance. He gives eternal life, He'll never take it back. He says we will never, never perish. He says, I've got you in my hands and no one can snatch you out. And he says, even greater than that, the Father has you in His hands. And you can be assured, no one can snatch you out. So Jesus clearly teaches that His sheep will never, never perish, will never lose their salvation. And then we have the perspective of birth over in 1 Peter Chapter 3. Now, when you think about the whole birth experience, uh, there are similarities to our spiritual birth. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in this last time. Again, this, these verses are packed with assurances to the Christian of our salvation. What does he say the cause of our being born again is? Our good works our good looks, where we are born, the nationality we are born into. Look what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused you to be born again. Again, you did not do anything to cause yourself to be born again, and therefore you cannot do anything to unborn yourself, so to speak. God in His mercy, in His love, caused us to be born again. How much did you have to do with your first birth? Did you choose when you would be born? Did you choose where you would be born? Did you choose who your parents would be? No. <laughs> we had absolutely nothing to do with our first birth. Your mama was going to push you out no matter what. And if she couldn't do it, the doctor was going to go up and get you and bring you out. I don't care how much you might have wanted to stay where it was comfortable and dark and secure, you could not stay. You were passive in the birth process. God says, I have caused you to be born again. It is a work of my grace from beginning to end. And look what we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
It was the power of the resurrection of Jesus that brought about our new birth. It is in His power, through His resurrection, that the Spirit brings about the new birth. Again, you and I had nothing to do with our conception. We have nothing to do with our spiritual conception. It is the Lord God who brings this about. Now look at the purpose of our birth. Verse 4. To obtain an inheritance. God says, one of the reasons that I have brought you into my family is so I can give you an inheritance. Now, back in biblical days, it was a common practice. If a man had no heirs, he would adopt a person for the purpose of being able to give his inheritance to this person, to give everything he owed to this person. Now, think how ridiculous it would be if a man had no heirs, He desperately wanted an heir so he could leave what he had to a person. And so he goes and adopts and brings a son into his family to be his heir. And then this son gets sick and needs to go to the doctor and get medicine. But this man says, no, I'm not going to spend the $100 it takes to take you to the doctor. I I just don't want to spend that much money on you. Now, how ridiculous is that? I mean, the whole purpose of having this son and keeping him alive is so that he can have the inheritance someday. God has caused us to be born again partly so that he can give us an inheritance. Now, how is he, why would he cause you to be born again for the purpose of giving you an inheritance and then let you fall away and lose that salvation? He would not. Look what he says about the inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. God has an inheritance reserved for you in heaven. Don't you think He's going to make sure you get to heaven to enjoy that inheritance? If He caused you to be born again so that He might give you a glorious inheritance... Don't you think He's going to make sure you make it there to enjoy that inheritance? Yes. It is reserved for you in heaven, verse 5, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Protected how? By the power of who? God. Again, if it was left up to us, we would fall away. If it was left up to us, we would end up in the ditch, spiritual ditch, the spiritual gutter. But it doesn't depend on us. It is God who protects us. It is God who keeps us saved by His power through the faith that He continues to work in us. And so again... You would have to say God lies. Jesus didn't know what he was talking about to say you could lose your salvation. Now let's move to the banking and business perspective. God takes terms in the banking and business world to help us understand. Over in Colossians chapter 3, look at verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, 
then you will also be revealed with Him in glory. Not might be revealed with Him, but will be revealed in Him. It is a certainty. Now you see that word hidden? Well, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That word hidden, we get the English word crypt from it. It carries the idea of a vault. That something is hidden for the purpose of keeping it secure and safe. It's used in the Gospels of burying a treasure to keep it safe. You put a treasure in the ground, you hide it so nobody can find it to keep it safe, to keep it secure. What Paul is saying is, is that we, our eternal life, is in the bank of heaven. It is in the safety deposit box of heaven. And it is in a double lock. It is with Christ in God. Several years ago now, when my mom was alive, one day she said to me, I want to go up to our safety deposit box and I want to catalog what's in there. So we went up to the local bank. And first of all, we had to go to an office of the bank, someone who was authorized to let us get into the safety deposit box. And we told them we'd like to get into our safety deposit box. Well, that wasn't enough. We took more than that. So we went to approach the safety deposit box, and there was this huge steel door that was to the vault. Now, if it had not been business hours, this huge steel door would have been closed. But it was business hours, so it was open. But we still couldn't get to our safety deposit box because there was a, a steel door with steel bars that was locked. So the employee from the bank put in the key, opened the steel door. We still couldn't get to our deposit box. She went in, she went through some cards, she pulled out a card with our name on it and says, okay, sign your names. Our signatures had to match the signatures on our card. But we still couldn't get in our safety deposit box because we had to produce a key. Well, once we produced the key, that still wasn't enough. The employee of the bank had to produce a key. And then we had to go over to the box and both of us had to put our key in the lock and they had to unlock it and we had to unlock it. And then we could finally get in to our safety deposit box. Now God's got you in the vault of heaven. Your eternal life is secure in the vault of heaven. And the double locks are with Christ, in Christ, with Christ in God. Now somebody to rob you of your salvation would have to go through Christ and go through God to finally get to you. I think we're fairly secure, don't you? In Christ with God. And then let's move to the business perspective. Over in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul uses the symbol of a seal, which was a common practice in, in biblical days, and even today we have seals. Ephesians 1, 13. In Him you also... After listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed in Christ. In biblical days, a seal signified three things. Now, first of all, look at this seal I have before you and see if you recognize it. That's the seal of the President of the United States. Wherever the President speaks, you'll see that seal. That seal's on Air Force One. 
That seal represents the office of the President of the United States. Now, in the business world, there and in biblical days, the seal was used for three main things. First, to show ownership. How did they used to tell which cows belonged to which farmer in the Old West? The brand. That was the seal. That showed ownership. Also, it shows security in biblical days. And move to the next slide. In biblical days, and this is an actual picture of a, a, a seal from biblical times, they would take wax and they would drip wax and then they had a, usually had a seal on their ring and they would press it down into the wax and that seal would be imprinted on that wax. You remember when the, the Jewish leaders came to Pilate after the death of Jesus and they said, we, we're afraid that they're going to come and steal his body. We want you to seal the tomb. And so Pilate did so. Well, he didn't take super glue and go all the way around the stone. That's not what it meant by sealing it. But rather, he had his soldiers go to the tomb and they put some wax on the stone and put his seal in it and then hooked a cord in that wax. And then they stretched the cord to the side of the rock of the tomb, side of the tomb, did the same thing. So here you have two seals with a cord separating them. Now that cord could not keep anyone from getting into that tomb. But that seal signified this tomb is secure by the authority of the Roman government. Anyone who breaks this seal incurs the full wrath of the Roman government. It was also used to to put on a treasure box, a seal would be put, and anyone would know if they broke that seal, they would incur the wrath of the person whose seal that was. So seals were used to show ownership, they were used to show security, and they also were used to show a finished business transaction. When a transaction was complete, the seal would be put on the document and impressed on into the wax. Now we do that today. Have you ever signed a legal document and, and underneath it it says, put your seal and you looked at the lawyer and he says, that's your signature. That's called your seal. Now some corporations have an, a seal that they press into the paper. Notaries, notaries have that seal. They press in the paper. It shows a finished transaction. The deed has been finished. Well, when we look at our salvation, we see all three of these aspects of the seal come into play. First, it shows ownership. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. We belong to God. When the devil looks at you and he wants to take you, he sees the seal of God and he knows he cannot have you. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Next, there is that aspect of security. You are sealed in the Holy Spirit. It is secure. Your salvation is secure in Him. No one can break that seal and take you away. And then also a finished transaction. You remember on the cross Jesus says, It is finished. It is paid in full. The work necessary for the redemption of my people has been completed. 
You and I can add nothing to it. It is a finished work. And it's sealed in the Holy Spirit. And then from the business world, we also get the idea of a down payment. Again, in Ephesians chapter 1, look in verse 14. The Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance to the view, to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. Now that word pledge is a word that symbolizes down payment or earnest money. Now we're all familiar with that concept, don't we? When you get ready to buy a house, they're going to ask for some earnest money. They want you to make a down payment. Why? Because they want to see how serious you really are about making this transition. Now say you have to put $10,000 down as a down payment for your house. And so you move into that house. And one month later you decide, I don't really like this house. I, I, I can't afford this house. I'm going to stop making payments. And so you go down to the mortgage company and you say, I've changed my mind. I don't want this house anymore. I'm going to stop making payments. I'd like to have my $10,000 earnest money back. Now, are they going to give you that money back? Uh-uh, no. You forfeit that money because that money was your promise that you were going to follow through on your commitment. It was a show of your intention and your good faith. To not go through is to forfeit that down payment. Now, what's the down payment for our eternal salvation, our inheritance? The Holy Spirit. God says, I am giving you the Holy Spirit to live within you as the earnest guarantee that I am going to bring your salvation to completion, that I who have begun a good work in you are going to continue that good work until the day of Christ Jesus and you can be assured of it because you have my Holy Spirit. And for God not to fulfill His part would be for Him to forfeit the Holy Spirit. And that's an impossibility. It is a total impossibility that God would forfeit the earnest money, the down payment of the Holy Spirit. But rather the Holy Spirit is God's promise, His guarantee, His down payment that you are going to continue in the faith, and He will keep you saved for eternity. So that's the first part of the promise, that He is able to keep us saved. But that's only part of the promise. The second part of the promise is that He will make us stand in the presence of His glory, blameless, with great joy. Now, it's great to be saved. I am so happy that I have eternity waiting for me. But I'll tell you something else that I am so excited about, is that when I am in heaven, I am going to be absolutely blameless as I stand before a holy God. You see this word blameless? It means without spot. It means without blemish. It means to cause someone to be clean, spotless. Morally perfect. This is used again over in 1 Peter chapter 1. This same word. Here is talking about the Lord Jesus as our sacrificial lamb. He says, you're not inherited with futile things like silver and gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. You're not redeemed, but with the precious blood as a lamb, there it is, un, 
blemished and spotless. The blood of Christ. So when the Holy Spirit wants to speak of the purity of the unblemished truth and reality of the Lord Jesus and His blood, He uses this word, unblemished and spotless. When the Holy Spirit wants to talk about our condition in eternity, He takes that same word that He used to speak of the Lord Jesus and His sinless, spotless perfectly unblemished self and he uses it to speak of us. What does that tell me? That tells me that I look forward to standing before the presence of his glory and all the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is able to make me stand in the presence of His glory, blameless, perfect, sinless, without blemish, without fault. And Lord knows I need it, because I am in fault today. But He is able to keep me and present me in His presence without stain, without blemish, without fault, perfect and sinless. This is witnessed in Scripture over in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul says the same thing in verses 3 and 4. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. God's intention all along has been to gather for Himself a people, a bride for His Son Jesus, and to present those to His Son Jesus blameless, spotless, perfect. Isn't that glorious? And you know, it doesn't depend on me. It was accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ. In Colossians 1, Paul says, and although you were formerly alienated, hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless, as that word again, and beyond reproach. It is the blood of Jesus that is that perfect covering for our sin. He became our substitute on the cross. He took our place. And through His death, He removed the sin barrier between us and God. And we can be reconciled, brought back into relationship with God. Through His death, He accomplished everything necessary to present His own before Him blameless and without spot. We have the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And that's why when we stand before the presence of His glory, we do so with great joy. You see that in the passage? Who is able to make us stand before the presence of His glory, of His presence, blameless with great joy. Now some people think, man, it's going to be awful to have to stand before holy God. Man, that's going to, that scares me. It will be awesome. I make no mistake about that. 
but you do not need to be afraid. I have, as you know, several grandchildren, and several are also around that age of two or three. It's about that age when kids see somebody they don't know, they kind of get afraid, and what do they do? They run behind, get behind mama's skirt, or they run behind daddy, and they kind of hide behind them, right? They feel safe back there. And I kind of picture a little bit when we stand before the presence, the glorious presence of our God, that, you know, if we're tempted to be afraid, all we got to do is get behind Jesus. Because when God sees me, well, who does he see? He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. And when he sees Jesus, he sees sinless perfection. He sees absolute holiness. And I am clothed with Jesus. And so I can stand with great joy. Not in me. Oh no. But in Jesus. In my Lord. That's where my joy rests. In Him. In His glorious, perfect righteousness. That He has given me as His gift. God promises that He will keep me saved and blameless forever. And ever and ever. Whenever you question, can, can I lose my salvation? You need to look to Jesus, not to yourself. You see, when we look to ourselves, we can question and doubt. But when we look to God's keeping power, well, how do you know if you've been truly born again? That's the question. Because if you hadn't been truly born again, you might fall away. Well, one of the ways you can know you've truly been born again is you continue to walk in the faith. But let me put it down this way. What's the first sign that a baby has been born? That cry, right? We listen for that cry. That's the first outward evidence of that new life, that new birth, is the cry. What is the evidence of the spiritual birth, that it's taking place. It is the true cry of confession of faith in Christ. You see, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, it's not just an open, I mean, it's not just an empty confession. It's got to be true to what's in your heart. You see, when the mouth confesses what is true in the heart, something powerful takes place. That baby is crying because it is true to the life that is within that baby. He's breathing. When a person's heart has been captivated by the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to come out in their mouth. He says, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead, and you shall be saved. Why? For with the heart a person believes unto salvation, unto righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses unto resulting in salvation. So when the mouth confesses what is truly a reality in the heart, it states your spiritual condition. Another place Jesus says in John 7, 37. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, 
If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Do you thirst for Jesus? Do you desire to have Jesus and to know Him and love Him more than you desire anything in life? That's what it means to be truly born again. You desire Jesus. You want Jesus more than anything. You're willing to give up anything. You don't care what it is. You just must have Jesus, have His love, and experience His forgiveness. You have a thirst that goes to the deepest crevices of your being, and that thirst can only be satisfied in Jesus, and you want to come and drink of Him. Now that shows a spiritual rebirth. That shows, that's the evidence that you have truly been born again. If you haven't ever seen that reality in your life, ask God, Lord, give me a hunger. Give me a thirst for Jesus. Create within me a fresh heart. Take my old heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. God, work in me eternal life. And it will express itself outwardly in that cry of confession and repentance. In Him. Let's pray. We do welcome you, and I'm glad that you have taken the opportunity to listen to a sermon on our internet. And I want you just to know that uh, everybody in the church is not like me. Uh, I have these fellows up here, our leadership team. Uh, this is Filiberto Medina, who is our Hispanic pastor. And our Hispanic congregation meets every Sunday evening at 6.30. This is Paul Kumar. He is our Minister of Community Connections. Uh, and to my left is Mark Baker, who heads up our Reformers Unanimous Ministry, which is a Christian addiction recovery program that meets every Friday night at 7 o'clock. So if you live in the Mableton area, uh, and it doesn't matter what race you're from, it doesn't matter your cultural background, I want you to know you are welcome at Westside Church. This is where... Everybody is somebody, and Jesus is Lord. Hope you'll join us soon. Thank you for being with us for this message. Each week, Dr. Stewart gives practical applications and ways to live out the Word of God. If you would like more information, please take a moment to view our website at wbcfamily.org. That's wbcfamily.org.